whatever we can do to further the Ummah's cause. So I'm passing the buck to you guys. Find something that you can fix. Find a problem that you think you can solve. Find that problem and work towards it. Have an Ummah-centric mindset and have the Akhirah at the forefront of your mind. And inshallah, if everyone starts adopting such a mindset, we will see growth and progression as an Ummah in huge leaps and bounds. So Jazakallah Khairan for everyone joining us today for another weekly tafsir from Islamic Finance Guru. I am the community leader IFG, Khidr Muhammad, and I'll be leading today's session. So today's topic, today's verse actually is very interesting. I chose the title for today, Comfort, the Killer of Dreams, and we'll see why. So let's uh, begin with the verse, inshallah. A'udhu billahi minash shaytanir rajeem Bismillahir rahmanir rahim Alam tara ila alladheena qila lahum kuffu aydiyakum wa aqimu وَقَالُوا رَبَّنَا لِمَا كَتَبْتَ عَلَيْنَا الْقِتَالَ لَوْلَا أَخَّرْتَنَا لَوْلَا أَخَّرْتَنَا إِلَى أَجَلٍ قَرِيبٍ قُلْ مَتَاعُ الدُّنْيَا قَلِيلٌ وَالْآخِرَةُ خَيْرٌ لِمَنِ اتَّقَى وَلَا تُظْلَمُونَ فَتِيلًا and the translation of the verse goes as follows. Have you, O Prophet, not seen those who have been told, do not fight, rather establish prayer and pay the zakat? Then once the order came to fight, a group of them feared those hostile people as Allah should be feared, or even more. They said, Our Lord, why have you ordered us to fight? If only you had delayed the order for us for a little while. Say, O Prophet, the enjoyment of this world is so little, whereas the hereafter is far better for those mindful of Allah. And none of you will be wronged, even by the width of the thread of a date stone. So this is ayah number 77 from Surah An-Nisa. And the background of this verse goes as follows that this was a Makki verse, i.e. it was revealed during the Meccan era. And during that time, the Muslims were being very harshly brutalized and oppressed by the Meccans who were pagan at the time. Now, at the time, these Muslims were getting tortured. They were very uncomfortable and they were facing immense difficulties. So they went to the Prophet ﷺ and asked him for permission to fight. And then Allah had, through the Prophet ﷺ, not given them permission and required that they establish the prayer and pay the zakat and focus on themselves. And that's very interesting. Because when the Muslims had now moved to Medina, things had changed. They were now no longer being oppressed by the native people. The Medinians 
had accepted them and allowed them to practice Islam wholefully. And while there was resentment from some tribes and stuff like that, but overall there was no none of the torture that they faced in Mecca. And that's when the command for jihad came. But when the command for jihad came, the Muslims, some of them, a small minority of them, they were comfortable. They were too relaxed. They were enjoying not being tortured. And as anyone knows, if you've even watched one movie of um, you know, a war film or if you've seen any of the videos of what's going on in war-torn countries, war is very tiring. It's very uncomfortable. It's a situation you don't want to put yourself in willingly. No one willingly wants to go and fight. When this command from Allah came, a small party of them had this inclination, this desire that, why, oh Rabb, why are we being asked to fight? If only you let us enjoy ourselves a little more. And Allah revealed this verse commanding the Prophet ﷺ to point out to these believers who are having these inclinations towards comfort and ease that the enjoyment of this world is very little and the enjoyment of the Akhirah is even more. And what I find very fascinating by this verse is that it's a human condition. You could say it's very much um, part and parcel of human nature to desire comfort, to desire ease, to desire you know, wealth and to be able to relax. No one wants to place themselves into difficult situations willingly. And that's something very hard for many of us to naturally want to do. So when the command for war comes and anyone who knows anything about war, whether it's through seeing videos of what's going on in war-torn parts of the country, or whether it's due to observing, you know, war movies or the news even, you know that war is a very uncomfortable situation. Even for the soldiers that are going to fight, whether that's your land or whether it's someone else's land, it's a very uncomfortable situation. It's never easy. And it made me reflect how we currently live in a time of comfort, of abundance. You know, it's often heard by many scholars saying that we live like kings nowadays. And many of you might be thinking, how is that possible? How can we be living like kings in this day and age when, you know, I've got a mortgage on my head, I've got debts and, you know, I haven't got this and I haven't got that. But when you think about it, the kings of the olden ages, of the olden days, they didn't have heating, they didn't have hot water, they didn't have electricity, they didn't have the kind of nice comforts and comfortable clothing and, you know, electricity, the internet, all these comforts that we have at our disposal. The kings of old didn't have these. And now we do. We live like kings quite really. Like if you think about it, there is so much comfort that every ache and pain for the human condition is catered for. Now, there's so much entertainment out there. Look at the sheer amount of TV channels, music and cinemas and all the kind of things that humans have come up with for amusement. How much is there that you can enjoy to your heart's content? For every ache and pain in the body, there's almost always some kind of medicine or some kind of cure or treatment that's now there. People are living longer. They're comfortable. You know, we have now nice and warm, comfortable houses that deal with it, that can protect us from the harshness of the outside weather. And we have an abundance of material comforts to keep us wanting more.
And it's very easy to sink into this, sink into this comfortable sofa or bed of uh, materialism. But that's not what Allah is asking us in this verse. Ibrahim covered in the last tafsir about how we can use our wealth to fight op- oppression. Similarly, many of these things that we can use to fight oppression or to advance or to grow, they require us being uncomfortable. And which is why you'll see that some of the wealthiest people in the world come from some of the poorest backgrounds. Why? Because that poverty, that weakness, that uncomfortable feeling of not having anything or being in a weak situation, that pushes us to grow. That lack of comfort creates the drive that you need to grow. So Oprah Winfrey is a classic example. She's currently worth an estimated $3.1 billion right now, but she comes from a poor background, a very poor background. She says she used to live in social housing and such. Howard Schultz, who is the uh, CEO of um, Starbucks, he's worth an estimated $2.9 billion. But he came from very humble beginnings. And the fashion icon, Ralph Lauren, he's known for his label. Yet he came from a background where he didn't even have clothes to wear. He had to wear hand-me-downs. And he's worth an estimated $5.9 billion right now. So we can see that when you are deprived of material comforts or when you ignore material comforts, you create opportunities for growth for yourself. I was watching this uh, video on uh, Instagram by uh, Steve Harvey. It was from one of his shows. You know, everyone knows Steve Harvey. And he had very humble beginnings too. But he talks about how to grow in anything, in your life, in your career, in your marriage, in parenting, in anything, you need to get comfortable with getting uncomfortable. You have to be uncomfortable because the moment you allow yourself to relax, You lose that drive for doing more. And Allah has created human beings with such amazing tenacity and dexterity that no matter what position we're put in, we can do amazing things when we set our mind to it. But unfortunately, what happens nowadays is that we are distracted by our nine to five jobs, our family. And, you know, we get trapped into the cycle of working our nine to five, coming home, having dinner, and watching Netflix, and then going to sleep, and then on and on and on in a cycle. We don't make an effort to grow. We don't make an effort to do anything greater. And that is really harming the ummah, because what we should be doing is all striving to rectify the situation of the Muslims. Just as Allah commanded the Muslims to fight in Medina when they were in their comfort zone, they were, they were making businesses, they were getting married, they were having children. Do you think they didn't have many other things going on in their lives? Of course they did. But when Allah's command came to go out and fight, the best of them stood and they said, we're going to go fight. And then you can see this continuously in the lives of the Sahaba that they strive to make, no matter how much comfort they have, they strive to work hard and help the Muslim ummah and further the Muslim cause. And that's why we can see the, the most amazing growth the most amazing growth of the Islamic empire, the most amazing conquests, you could say, were in the first 30 or 40 years of the ummah. And why was that? Because Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, Umar radiallahu anhu, Uthman radiallahu anhu, Ali radiallahu anhu, they worked hard, they strived, they gave up their material comforts. 
And the best example is the Prophet ﷺ. He had immense wealth coming to him. Literally wealth that in today today's time would be calculated in billions. He had that much wealth coming in from the conquests of Khaybar and all these other places. But when asked if he would like a more comfortable bed, he preferred his thin leather or reed mat that he used to sleep on because it created discomfort. And with that discomfort, he had that drive to not get lazy because when we get comfortable, we get lazy. Let's be honest. When we go on holidays, we forget about all the goals that we've got. So I want to take this moment to share an incredible example of many of you might know about our student loans campaign that we've got going on. One of the people that's spearheading it is this Muslim sister who took a year out from her medical school just to lobby and protest for halal student loans for Muslims. Now she could have said, I don't want to waste a year of my life doing some, I'd rather just focus on university and help people that way. But no, she had an ummah centric mindset and she used that to petition and she got so as to getting us through in having meetings with the Department of Education themselves. And now we're this close to making halal student loans a reality. Now imagine if every one of us, if every one of us, me, you and everyone else and every other Muslim, you had such a drive to want to go do something for the Ummah. It doesn't have to be everything. You don't have to be a polymath and revive every aspect of the Ummah. But you found one problem that you thought you could find a solution to. And you focused on that. Yeah, you did your nine to five. You spent time with your family. No one's saying that you can't do those things. And no one's saying that you can't relax. But if you chose one goal, and instead of spending hours on Netflix every day, hours on, you know, so much money on holidays that you don't necessarily need. Imagine if you spent that striving for the ummah and furthering the cause of Islam and carrying forth the banner of the Prophet Imagine that. Imagine how much reward you would get. And this leads to kind of the concluding point that this life and its pleasures, trust me, they're really enticing. There's so much entertainment out there. We all love it, myself included. And all of us have felt this desire, this pull into the entertainment and desires of this world, but it's so temporal. I remember one year I went on three holidays. I went on three holidays in the same year. If you ask me about them now, I can barely remember them. And all I can remember is the stress I've got on my head of doing this or doing that. So all the pleasures that you get, they're just a quick fix. But Allah has given us the ultimate contract. If an investor came to you and said, look, you give me seven pounds, I'll give you 700 pounds. You'd look at that and be like, look, this is like the bargain of the year. I'm going to give you 70,000 pounds. I'm going to sell my house and give that to you for that return. Allah has given us something better. All he's asking for is our time, our effort, and whatever we can do to further the Ummah's cause. So I'm passing the buck to you guys. Find something that you can fix. Find a problem that you think you can solve. Find that problem and work towards it. Have an ummah-centric mindset and have the akhirah at the forefront of your mind. And inshallah, if everyone starts adopting such a mindset, we will see growth and progression as an ummah in huge leaps and bounds. And with that, I conclude. Jazakallah khairan for everyone joining us today. And inshallah, see you next Wednesday for another session 
of tafsir. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika shadu wa la ilaha illa ant wa astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk. Salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. If you got this far, you must have enjoyed the podcast, which means you'll definitely love our other episodes and other content we produce as well, inshallah. Be sure to check out the website, islamicfinanceguru.com, as well as our YouTube channel and social media. Until next time, assalamu alaikum.